This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Gone for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. How we doing, A's fans? How we doing, baseball fans? That's right, it is A's Cast Live, warm stove edition. We are here for you. If you're just seeing this on Twitter... Whether it's at Townsend Radio or on our at AthleticsCast24, yes, we, we're back on. We are live thanks to our president, Dave Cavill. We're going to be on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 1 to 3 talking baseball. And really the best news that I could give you right now is the fact that Major League Baseball and the Players Association are working on a deal to get things going. That is good news. And really all the leagues are working on this right now, but they're working on how they're going to compensate the players, talking about double headers, talking about playing into November. You know, there's a lot of things they can do and get creative with to make sure that they have games. You know, one of the ideas that's been floating around is playoff games being played either under a roof or being played like in Southern California. You know, kind of like what, what we see with football, where the Super Bowl rotates. You know, some people are worried about attendance, but I got I got a feeling that we as an Americans, once we're able to, to get outside again and able to have entertainment again, we're going to want to support a lot of different things. So if you have the playoffs in Los Angeles and Orange County and San Diego or maybe in Houston and, and Texas and Arlington where they now have a roof, you know, get everything in as much as you possibly can. And I think we're all going to sit back and really appreciate stuff that right now we're not able to have. You know, this it, it, I know I said it on Monday. It kind of reminds me of September 11th after the attacks where we shut down basically everything for about a week. Well, this is going to be a lot longer. But the good thing is at Major League Baseball and the Players Association, according to all of our baseball sources – they're getting ahead of this thing because you got to figure out how you're going to compensate the players. You know, how are you going to do the TV deals? You, you know, how many games are you going to play? There's service time. There's a lot of things that are going to concern the players, and they should be concerned. 
You know, this is something that they there's a collective bargaining agreement where the owners and baseball have agreed to terms with the players. And right now, of course, everybody wants to make nice because at some point this CBA is going to be what's it after after next season the CBA is up, and we don't want any labor strife. Last time we had labor strife was 1994, and we know that what that did to the sport. So everybody's playing nice. Hey, let's you know the country's more important right now. The world is more important right now. But at some point we will get back to our routines, and baseball is a part of our routines. You know, there's all kinds of interesting ideas being floated out there right now. And Jason Stark and Ken Rosenthal have a very good article in The Athletic talking about some things that could change to really help get as many games in to where we're playing seven-inning games, double headers. So you're playing 14 innings. I thought that was very interesting. A lot of players have come out, hey, players want to play. You know, yeah, they want to get paid, but these guys want to play. This is their job. This is what they do. We all want to get back to doing what we do. So multiple players have told Jeff Passan of ESPN, oh, yeah, we're down with doubleheaders. Ernie Banks, let's play too. Old school. Let's hear from Jeff Passan from ESPN. He's got a very good piece on ESPN.com, but here's what Jeff Passan had to say, one of baseball's top columnists. What? date is baseball looking at in order to try to put together what they would consider to be a sensible season? You know, Greeny, baseball is looking at a lot of dates right now, but the target at the moment is in early June. The idea is that players would go back around mid-May for a second kind of spring training, that that would be an abbreviated one, you know, two, two and a half weeks, and that because pitchers wouldn't be ramped up, they would expand the rosters and go back and play games. We don't know if it would be in front of empty stadiums. We don't know if fans would be there. They would love, though, to start the season in early June while recognizing that July ultimately may be the likelier and better time to begin the season. And, and in an effort to play as many games in that period of time as they can, whenever it is they're able to start, in your piece, there is the discussion of playing multiple double headers. We had Mark Teixeira on the show on Monday, and he was steadfastly against the idea of playing a lot of double headers to try and make up for the missed games. Can you take us a little bit into the conversations they're having about that? Yeah, I understand exactly why Tex is like that, because doubleheaders are difficult on the body, because they can be difficult mentally as well. But these are desperate times right now, uh, especially for the baseball players who want to go out there and play games. And that is one thing when you have contention in the relationship between the owners and the players that everybody agrees on. We want to play as many games as possible. And if it takes doing doubleheaders, on, say, Wednesday and Saturday, that is something that they will do to get as many games in because for the owners, that means more revenue coming in. For the players, that means with their salary prorated by the number of games played, more money for them. No offense to Mark Teixeira. Uh, I think he's very good on television. You know, big, good-looking guy and can talk. And But Mark Teixeira, when he retired... Mark Teixeira made 213. <laughs> he made over 200 million. He made almost 214 million dollars. 100 million dollars. I mean, seriously. Seriously. He's got all that money in the bank, so he doesn't care. 
uh, to a lot of players, you know, guys making the minimum, they need to play games to get paid. These guys are going to want to play. And if you got to play if you got to play a doubleheader on Wednesday and a doubleheader on Saturday, uh, guys are going to do it. And and look, and and you know, something that the players union obviously is going to like is more jobs. If you expand the rosters to be able to do this, like let's say I don't know, we'll expand the roster on days of doubleheaders to like 30 guys. It's 26 guys now. Maybe they extend it to 30 guys. Well, that's getting more guys up from minor leagues. You know, they're making the making the minimum for, for, you know, the portion of what that minimum would be for the day that they're up. And they're getting some service time. That's good for the players' union. They're going to work this thing out. And they're going to play a lot of games. And it's going to be, you know, one thing that we won't have is this whole, it's a marathon, not a sprint. This is going to have the feel of a sprint, like right out of the gate. You know, we've talked so much in spring training about how this A's group needs to buck the trend of struggling early. That's how the Astros and the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Twins, that's how everybody won over 100 games last year. You get out to a good start, and you ride that wave to the finish. You know, you got to beat up on the bad teams. Look how bad the Yankees beat up on the Orioles last year. It was reminiscent of when we used to call them the hashtag Lastros, and everybody was beating up on the Astros when they were losing over 100 games. So that that's what's going to be key in a shortened season. I don't know how short it will be. You know, we still don't know. But let's say it is July, August, September, October, take it into November. That's five months. You can get a lot of games in. But starting fast is going to be very, very important. So what we've told you, what we're going to be doing here, is we're going to be going through every single division in baseball. And we're starting with the NL West. We had our buddy Mike Farron from the Diamondbacks and MLB Radio on Sirius XM on Monday to talk about the Snakes. Today, we're going to do the San Francisco Giants and one of the top broadcasters in the game for the Giants. Dave Fleming also does a great job, ESPN, college football and college basketball. Dave Fleming is going to join us at 1.30 to break down the San Francisco Giants at 2 o'clock. A great story. Our voice, the stadium voice of the A's. Dick Callahan is going to be here at 2 o'clock. My good friend has a wonderful story about what he did. How about this tease? About what he did at Safeway. I'm going to leave it at that. And then it's Wednesday, and Wednesday's Ray Fossey Day. What's Ray Fossey doing? We'll talk to Foss coming up at 2.30. As we love having on Ray Fossey. So we're going to have Fleming at 1.30, Dick Callahan at 2, and then Ray Fossey at 2.30. So players are itching to get it going. And, you know, one of, the, one, of the, one of the cutest things I've seen on Twitter in a long time. So Garrett Cole of the Yankees, his wife, Brandon Crawford's sister, was a softball player at UCLA. That's where they met. They're two Bruins. Watching them play catch in the park, 
as Garrett Cole's trying to keep his arm in shape. That was pretty cool. Husband and wife, and she can wing it. <laughs> She's got a good arm, and you could tell that she was she was a player. But the sad thing going on right now in baseball, surgeries. We kind of saw this last week with Chris Sale and Tyler Beattie to where you have these front offices that are looking at, okay, we're going to have a shortened season. Now, if you've got a guy that's got an elbow issue, do you rest him? Remember, it's a shortened season. I've got time to keep rehabbing him to see if he's going to be good to start whenever we start. Or do you just take the Tommy John and get it out of the way? Another big name going underneath the knife. We'll talk about it next right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. By the way, on Friday, we're going to have Tony Gwynn Jr. on as we'll break down the Padres on Friday. Dave Fleming, Giants at 1.30 today. Monday, are we going to tackle the Rockies or the L.A. Dodgers? I was shooting for the Rockies. Yeah, let's do the Dodgers last because it's going to be – this is the team that's winning the division. Well, and plus we have <laughs> – For the eighth straight yeah, year. We have a lot of Dodgers contacts where what the Rockies – I know one guy, and that's Ryan Spielborgs. I did ask for Larry Walker to make his first – The, hall, the, the, the new the, Hall, the hall of, of Famer. famer but um, I'm waiting to hear back from him, and I asked for the great Buddy Black. Oh, Bud Black. So the only other guy, the only other guy I know in Colorado – San Diego State Aztec. Uh, he was probably the greatest Padres manager since Bruce Bochy. Uh, recently watched. Did he pitch the Pine Tar game? I was watching uh, the George Brett New York Yankees. Yeah, I, I believe. I believe I think he was in that. Buddy game, yes. Black was the starter in the Pine. I got to tell you, I have been in heaven watching all these old school games on MLB Network. Baseballs flying all around the yard. People making contact, still hitting home runs, defense being played, pitchers throwing strikes, less walks. Can we get back to playing ball? I've been watching, uh, since Major League Baseball released like 3 million videos on YouTube in the last week or so, I've been watching a lot of the the older home run derbies, like 98 and 99 with Griffey and Sosa McGuire. It's incredible to watch how those guys would hit like six home runs and get 10 outs where Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is hitting how many now in, in a round? Like, it's different because there's outs imposed to timing, but yes. it's just those guys would hit so many home runs during the season, but during the home run derby, it's just, it was a completely well, different. Because you, you got 10 outs. That's the thing. It's like I went to home run derby in 1992. Who won that? I think McGuire. It was in San Diego. I think McGuire won it, but it was like McGuire and Bonds and all these guys, and it's like you got 10 outs, and then it was over. Barry Bonds as a pirate, Mark McGuire as an A. That's how far back we're going. Yeah, it was it was it was all Griffey. It was awesome. Um, something I thought about, and this this layoff obviously is helping teams who have injury problems, and probably the most injured team is the New York Yankees. But emotionally and psychologically, the team that's being helped the most is the Astros. The venom towards the Astros is gone. And, you know, in, in times when we're going to come back and celebrate, and as Americans, we all kind of hold hands and sing kumbaya, 
I don't think the venom towards the Astros is going to be the same because of what life is going to be like in our country when this thing starts up. So I think emotionally and uh, between the years, this might be helping the Houston Astros. And, and I'm looking at an article right now. What will baseball season look like when it returns? And uh, It's in Sports Weekly, formerly Baseball Weekly. And, uh, yes, I'm a dinosaur. I still get magazines. Um, that's one of the things they talk about is, you know, it's going to be a, a friendlier environment than what it normally was going to be. But for Cody, I mean, I just feel for you as one of your beloved New York Mets. Uh, they're going the way of Chris Sale and Tyler Beatty. You know, we found out. We didn't even know when they stopped spring training that there was an issue with Noah Syndergaard. And now Noah Syndergaard, Thor, the guy who's got the highest velo average in all of baseball, is going to have Tommy John surgery. Meet the Mets, meet the Mets, step right up and meet the Mets. Bring your kitties, bring your wife. <laughs> it's just, I don't know if you've seen this. We can't even talk about some of the stuff because we're a family program. And I don't think I want to retweet it, but I've sent it out to friends. They have this bracket out on, uh, I'm going to give you the guy just so you can see it. It's at the Clem Report. Who is Clem? Writer for Barstool. Is he verified? Does he have the blue check mark? Yes. Okay, he's legit. So it's a bracket like the college basketball bracket, and they have the seedings, and it's all the Mets issues, and they seed them from 1 to 16. Like the number one seed in one bracket is Bernie Madoff. Uh, my, one of my favorites is the one that just says Jason Bay. Yeah. And the, the other number one seed is the 2007 collapse. Uh, the Bobby Bonilla contract is a two seed. Little, I'm a little surprised at that. I thought I thought they got a little little uh, shafted on their uh, – they must have had a real bad uh, strength of schedule, Bobby Bonilla did. Duda, errant World Series game five throw, a number one seed. And the last number one seed, Beltron caught looking. So they go all the way. They have so many funny things in here. We can't read them all. Uh, I forgot to ask, is there a Tebow one in there? Anything with Tebow because he's. (laughs) One of my favorites is 1986 Brawl with Houston Police. (laughs) Piazza press conference to say he's not gay. (laughs) I mean, some of these are just hilarious. I bet we could do this for every team. There's one in here, Vince Coleman hurting Dwight Gooden with his golf swing. <laughs> you know we need to send that to? We need to send it to our resident Met fan, Sarah Langs. I'm oh, sure Sarah would have, would have a good laugh with that. Because when I saw the news come out about Thor, I, I text you and I immediately uh, reached out to Sarah. And I said, are, are you doing okay? Because anytime anything happens with the Mets, I go to her because she's a super, a super Mets fan. And uh, she got back to me at like, uh, literally like midnight. Midnight here, so it was like 3 a.m. on the East Coast saying, I can't believe I missed this. I'm doing okay. It hurts, but I'm doing okay. Well, you know, watching these games from yesteryear where there is no pitch clock, you know, not, I shouldn't say pitch clock, um, velocity. You don't see, you know, they, they don't even show you the score until the inning ends, which I, I hate that. But, you know, you don't know if a guy's throwing 88 or 91 or, you know, this is back in the day it was about, you know, pitching is about, you know, 
adding and subtracting, and it's about location, and, and it's it's it, 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 the key to pitching is is messing up the hitter's timing. Hitting is timing. You got to mess up the timing. Well, nowadays it's now it's blow it by you, and when you go max velocity, and even Noah Syndergaard said this, he he knew probably at some point this would happen. You know, if you're going to get up there and you're going to throw every single pitch as hard as you can and you're going to test the limit of the body every single time you go out there on the mound, it's almost inevitable. And it's sad, but this is one of those deals where you don't know when the season's going to start. You know, there's always different things that they try and do. They try and give you that shot, the plate, platelet, rich, whatever it's called, and they try and, and get you through it. But now with a, a shortened season, as it looks like it's going to be, is, what's, is today the 25th? The season was supposed to start tomorrow. You might as well, if you got to get it done at 27 years old, get it done now. Because the reality is, okay, it's March. Really, let's say April. So in 12 months, when the season starts, you'll be able to come back at the end of the basically the first month. I don't count March because it's only a couple games. You'll you'll be after the 12 months. They like you to go 11 to 11 to 12. Uh, they like you to go to 13 or 14 months now after having the procedure. So you have it now. I guess he's going to have it immediately at some special hospital for surgeries because right now in New York they're you know they're not doing regular surgeries. Well, I think it's going to happen tomorrow, and apparently Florida is one of the states along with New York and I think California that's not doing elective surgeries. Yeah, but I guess Florida made you know said that this is a they're going to do it for the, for Syndergaard for pitchers. Well, this is a, a from what I understand, I got a buddy Rob who's in New York and he's a huge Met fan. It's supposedly this is a special surgical. Hospital. Yeah, it's in. Doing I know it's in Florida for sure, and they they're no, gonna, it's, in, it's in New York. Oh, the, I read that they were going to do it in Florida tomorrow, unless they switch because they wherever he's going to do it. But it's it's tomorrow. That's all we need to know. It's tomorrow. Okay, so you have it, and you roll it all the way down to April. Next year will be twelve months, and so at the end of April, that's now thirteen. He could be. I mean, he'll be back by May. So it actually is if you're Chris Sale. If you're Noah Syndergaard, you have no idea what this year is going to look like. Might as well, if you got to get it done, or if you're one of those, you know, because there's been times where guys want to, they think Tanaka with the Yankees. Has, has, they've thought for years that he should have Tommy John, and he has defied the odds and not had it and continues to pitch and continues to win. They literally would say his his Lima was just dangling there. But he he would re, he refused to have the Tommy John surgery, and here he is every year coming out, coming in, coming out, pitching well for the Yankees with literally no ligament. And one of the guys that kind of pitched through it is back for the Giants now, Johnny Cueto, and he's going to be their opening day starter. And we're going to talk to Dave Flynnling coming up here in a few minutes as we look. We looked at the D-backs on Monday. We're now going to look at the San Francisco Giants, who win seventy-five and eighty-five last year. The big thing for them, which was bad, was their home record. The Giants went 35 and 46 at home, matching the 1984 team for the worst home record in Giants history. Remember how 
I talk about A's history versus Oakland A's history because A's history is Philadelphia, Kansas City, Oakland. Giants history is San Francisco and New York. So since 1902, where were you in 1902? Not even my grandmother was born. She was born 17 were, years later. You weren't even alive in 84. Yeah, no, I wasn't even alive then, yeah. As Gavin Newsom now criticizes you millennials to stay inside and grow up. I didn't hear that. Cody actually told me about that. That was pretty funny. Uh, and I'm, you know, like, I'm like a millennial, too. That's true. So. Confirmed you are. Yeah. But you're staying inside. You grew up. We walked the dog. I, I take layout. My dog lay out, too. That's the only time I really get out. We should, we, we should, uh, we, you, you said polls. By the way, I, you the people. <laughs> See, this is how democracy works. You the people vote. And whoever gets them, whoever gets the most votes on these polls is the winner. It's a democracy. We left it to you, the people. Not Cody, not me, because we don't pay to go to games. We get paid to go, so we don't matter. But you, the paying customer, matter. And there's no electoral college in this thing. Shift or no shift? The winner is? Uh, no, 51-49. We see, I needed one more vote of yes, and it would have been a split down the middle poll of 50%. Who won? You won that one. I did. No shifting anymore. Now, you can, instead of saying no shifting, you can shade. So, basically, I could shade the shortstop almost up the middle, or the second baseman almost up the middle, but they can't be directly over the bag. Two infielders on the left, two infielders on the right. Let's go. I I still think that if we want to keep the shift, do the the new scoring of Marcus Simeon to Matt Olson nine three put out. That's what you got to do because that's essentially what it is. Now I'm not going to say you can't use four four outfielders. You can put everybody in the outfield if you want. Then it's just drop down bunts. You, you know you can have no infielders. Everybody play in the outfield. You can do that. You just can't shift. So we are winners on that. By the way, you're talking about the Giants and how historically bad they were at home. They had a six ninety four OPS last year. That's twenty eighth in Major League Baseball. They added one hitter this offseason. The first multi-year deal given out by Farhan Zaidi, Wilmer Flores, who isn't even going to probably start for them to start the year. How about this number? Run differential. A lot of people believe in run differential. A lot of front offices believe in run differential. I, I think it, I think it's a, a major determining factor when you look at teams. I think so. I think it matters. The Giants' run differential in the first three innings in 2019, minus 107. Is that any good? Minus one. Oh, I mean, they were bad. 22 trades made by Farhan Zaidi from January to September last season, which he completed with 13 different teams while acquiring 19 players. And I went to their depth chart. They got a lot of old guys. You got a bunch of, as Major League Baseball is getting away from the 30 club, the Giants keep adding guys in their 30s. For their for their infielders, starters and non-starters, are over 30. Buster Posey, Evan Longoria, Brandon Crawford, Brandon Belt. And they brought back Hunter Pence. And Pablo Sandoval. What? 
Now, Yastrzemski and Alex Dickerson aren't very young either in their outfield. No, baby Yaz is what, 29? He's like 28, 29, yeah. Even Jalen Davis, the guy they got from the Brewers last year, he's like 25 as, a pro- as an as an outfield prospect. Like these guys, I mean, it's still kind of young. Like the youngest guy is Dubon, and I think he's 25 also. They're slated to starting second baseman. Johnny Cueto? What is he, 35? 30, yeah, somewhere, Jeff Samars is older. Kevin Gosman, I think, is 30. Drew Smiley's close. The only guy that's not is Logan Webb. Logan Webb's young. I think he's like 23 or 24. I mean, you got a bunch of guys that are born. I mean, Johnny Cueto was born in 1986. Yeah, he'd be 30. He'll be 34 this year if he's not. Gosman was born in 91. Okay, so he's 29. Samarja was born in 85. 34. Could be 30. We'll be 35. Tony this year. Watson born in 85. Yeah, they're they're. I guess he's their scheduled closer. Doesn't have a closer on there. Yeah, side. they. Really, I mean, it's just like it's still early. Wow. I mean, what what do you do? And here's the thing, and we're gonna ask Dave Fleming about this. And this is gonna be the toughest part for the Giants going forward. Is what do you do with Buster Posey? Buster Posey is a shell of himself, and I want to look at his contract here. He's making $22 million this year, and he has an option for $22 million next year at the age of 35 with a $3 million buyout. What are they going to do? Because his numbers, his numbers are horrific. He is not aging well. Buster Posey had an OPS of 688. His OPS plus... Cody is 84. That means you're a be- you're below the league the league average is 100. Yeah, He's you're below 16 points below that. 7 home runs, 38 RBIs. Steven Vogt had a better year and he had less at bats for them last year playing catcher. And Joey Bart is on the same even though he had some issues with his uh hand, some fractures, but supposedly that he's going to be fine. Joey Bart's 23. He was second overall pick. And if you look at the trajectory of how what happened with Buster Posey, Buster Posey comes up and then doesn't go down. Buster Posey came up at first at 22, and then his first full season, when they brought him up and he was here to stay, when they won the World Series, he played in 108 games. He was 23. Joey Bart's 23. Are you going to do it? like what the Padres did to Sandy Alomar Jr. when they had Benito Santiago. But Benito Santiago was still a great player. Buster Posey's not that guy. And I know we worked around people went, oh, he's for sure a Hall of Famer. I look at these numbers. I mean, what's his career war? Career war is 41.8. We know what they, everyone always says with him. Well, he has three World Series. No, no, I mean, that's, that's, that's it. great. It's great, but it's a, it's on his resume. But when you have six hundred and seventy three RBIs for your career, that's not that's not moving the needle. Look, I, I always said I'm gonna I'll always defend this till when till you know the end essentially until it happens. If you're putting him in, you put Joe Mauer in. I'm sorry. Like if you're gonna Joe Mauer was a better hitter. Joe Mauer, I mean, defensively maybe not. He didn't win any World Series because you know Minnesota wasn't a contender like the Giants were. But Joe Maurer had better – in my opinion, I think he had better numbers. He has a war, I think, in the 50s. 
If you're going to put Buster in, you got to put Maori in, then you got to consider putting Yadi Molina in because Yadi Molina and Buster, you know, arguably were the two best defensive catchers during this last decade. You know, he hasn't had a, a, a big year since 2012. That was the year after the uh, the ankle injury, right, yeah. or foot injury, or whatever, well, leg, whatever he had. Fractured leg. Yeah, Scott Cousins sliding in there dirty. Um, That's a long time ago. He was 25 years old, 2012. He won the MVP that year. Correct. I mean, that's a long, that's a, that's, that's, that's. That's a long time ago. We're, we're, we're in 2020. The nice thing about him, though, now still is he's still very good defensively. And I know you don't like hearing about this, but he's a very good pitch framer. No, I, I, I of course, as a pitcher, I love pitch framing. That's I what just, I mean. Like, that's why, like, they value, he's so highly valued So because he's very good with the pitching staff. He's still a very good defensive catcher. Yeah, the offense isn't there anymore, but. But you know what, though? I'll never forget reading this. Let me let me my memory here. Is it Eli Whiteside was the backup yeah. catcher when he got hurt? Yes, I think he's not like their bullpen catcher. Okay, I remember reading this article, and because basically, the backup catcher normally has the exact same numbers as the starting catcher, catcher's ERA or whatever you want. They it's always pretty similar. So the Giants staff, the year Buster Buster only played in forty five games the year he got hurt. I'm looking at his stats right now. Eli Whiteside came in and got the bulk of the innings. Yeah, him and Chris Stewart, I think, were the two catchers. The Giants finished second to only Phillies in ERA. So it's not like Buster went down and all of a sudden the pitching staff fell apart. Well, back then you had peak Lincecum. You had peak Matt Cain. Uh, Bumgarner was still pretty good. He was young. Uh, who else is on that staff? I don't even remember. Jonathan Sanchez, I think he was still there. But, yeah, you're right. They finished second to only the Phillies, and the Phillies had Oswalt and Cliff Lee, I think, and um, Roy right. Halladay, Hall- yeah, the Cl- uh, Cole Hamels. Earlier today we caught up with – I mean, this guy, when you talk about play-by-play guys, Dave Fleming's as good as anybody. Here is my conversation breaking down the San Francisco Giants with one of their play-by-play guys, Dave Fleming. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he's a Stanford graduate, one of the voices of the San Francisco Giants, and does a great job on ESPN with football and basketball. Dave Fleming is with us here to break down the San Francisco the San Francisco Giants. Dave, how are you? Hi, Chris. I'm great. I'm glad you're doing this. Yeah, you know, as our, our president, Dave Cavill, said, we got to get back on the air, and uh, people need to hear some uh, some positive stuff and hear some baseball. So it's uh, we're we're great. It's great to be back on. But I got to ask you a multiple choice question. So since you've been in lockdown, have you have you a been binge watching Netflix, b doing a lot of puzzles, c board games, or d something other with the family? Okay, so our first, uh, you know, I mean, the kids are in school, so I'm not going to answer the A, B, C, D, but I will say that, the, you know, the days are pretty well taken up by school. We've tried to do some uh, as much P.E. type stuff as we can in the backyard, too. And then our night times, we've played some board games, but we tackled Ken Burns' Civil War. Really? Uh, which, <laughs> which, you know, is a, it's, a, it's a wrestling match with that one. I mean, it's wonderfully done, but... Uh, the kids had never seen it, and I hadn't seen it since it came out 20-plus years ago, and we watched it start to finish. So that was our first uh, 10 days of uh, 
nighttime family activity. Nice. A little education going on at the Fleming House. I like it. Well, let's get into the San Francisco Giants, who last year were 77-85. and 85. Uh, they, they got hot in the middle of the season, kind of changed maybe the plans for Farhan Zaidi. What, what are your expectations going into 2020? Well, the expectations are I think this year will feel similar to last year. Last year, to me, was a mixture of – you know, it's the veteran Giants that everybody knows about. Giants and, and baseball fans have known these guys and watched these guys for so long now. And a lot of them are still here. And, in fact, some of them, like Hunter Pence, are coming back, um, which is funny and interesting. Uh, but I, th- I think it's going to be a mix of that plus experimentation with whether it's young players from the minor leagues, which I think the Giants this year are closer to having some of those guys really make the jump up than they were last year. or uh, you know, players in the ilk of Mike Yastrzemski, whom they find from other organizations who can help them. So I think it's going to feel similar to last year. I think we're another one year away of something feeling a lot different. I think this year is more the same, a mixture of the veterans and the comfortable names with uh, trying out some new faces. And you look at some of the guys who were definitely positives from last year, and I think you definitely have to say baby Yaz, Mike Yastrzemski with the 21 home runs. Uh, he really came on and, and showed that he can be an everyday player for the Giants. Well, you you know, you, you never know what to expect with when you pick up a player like that, and the Giants picked him up from the Baltimore Orioles who felt like he didn't fit on their 40-man roster. And when you consider how bad the Orioles were last year, it's sort of hard to believe that they didn't have room for this guy because as soon as the Giants gave him a chance he produced and he had a legitimately good year exciting year uh wasn't just the raw numbers if you look at like the batted ball profile really dig deep I mean he had one of the top 10 you know launch angle exit velocity combo metrics you know you can look at these things in a lot of different ways but he hit the ball hard the way you're supposed to hit it and produce numbers and played all three outfield spots and did so very well uh, you know, he really had an excellent year. Now he's on the older side for a young, quote, player. Uh, and that brings a whole different set of questions. But Mike Yastrzemski was legitimately good. And I think the Giants are going to give him a ton of at-bats and maybe use him. You know, last year they had Kevin Pillar. Pillar is not around this year. I think they're going to use Mike all over the outfield in different kinds of ways than they did last year and maybe even see if he can be their everyday center fielder. Were you shocked about the Pilar move? I wasn't shocked because I do think that, uh, again, part of the task this year, Pilar was not going to sign a long-term contract. Giants fans really loved Kevin Pilar. We all liked having him around. Kevin had a good year with the Giants last year, but you know they weren't going to give him – they were not in a position to give him a long-term deal. So the, the alternative was bring him back for one year, and I'm, I'm sure that they had a lot of internal arguments about it and debates about whether to do that. And I think in the end they just decided, look, we have so many other spots on the diamond that are essentially occupied. Evan Longoria is going to play third base mostly. Brandon Belt is going to play first base mostly. Buster Posey is going to mostly play catcher. Brandon Crawford is mostly going to play shortstop. There aren't that many other spots on the field where the Giants can try to find the next Yastrzemski or whomever. And I think center field is a spot, or at least an outfield spot, is a place where the Giants felt like we need a little more versatility. If we sign 
Pilar. He's going to get 500 at-bats. He's going to play every day. And if it's not a long-term deal, if he's not going to be around for the next five years, we might as well start this season that process of trying to find other talented younger players. And that's not a knock on Pilar. I'm sure it was a hard decision not to bring him back. You know, obviously what Buster Posey has meant to this franchise, and you think of the one guy that's been in the lineup for all three championship teams, he's been the guy. But then you have Joey Bart, and he had the hand fractures last year. He's 23. He was the second overall pick out of, what, Georgia Tech. And I'm thinking to myself, the timeline, when you got a guy that's that talented and he's a college guy, at the age of 23, you start thinking, okay, it's going to be his time. How do you think this plays out between Bart and Buster Posey? Yeah, it is It is almost his time, and you're right. That is probably the hardest dilemma for the franchise at the moment, sort of short, medium term, is how to implement him. Now, you know, it could be that if the season is severely delayed or even, you know, even if it's just six or eight weeks, which to me is pretty severe, but, you know, even if we're back to playing baseball, say, in June – you know, it might be that that takes away enough minor league at-bats from BART to where it's going to be less of an issue this year than we all thought it would be. Because the Giants feel like he still needs some more experience in the minor leagues, some more. Not a lot more, but some more. And, you know, that problem might go away for this year. It still would be there long-term. Uh, but, but he's talented. They want him up. I think the ultimate answer is at the catcher spot, even a 50-50 split, which, you know, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but a 50-50 split still gives players a chance to be really valuable and protect bodies and keeps people fresh, and it's not the worst way to go. I mean, the A's have done that in a lot of their good years with, you know, you know maybe guys who aren't as super talented as Buster Bosey and Joey Bard are, but timeshares at that position are easier than at others. And if Joey Bart gets sort of, uh, you know, 40% playing time, you could still make a case that, you know, something real positive was happening with him. So that's kind of a long way of answering and saying, I think it's not going to be as hard as it seems on paper to share at that position. Well, the one guy I'm really looking forward to, to watching his comeback because he's just entertaining as hell on the mound is Johnny Cueto. He's got great stuff. He's coming back from Tommy John and, you know, for some of these guys who have been injured, a little more of a layoff may not be bad for them. But I'm I'm excited to see him again because he's so much fun to watch, and, and, and he will be the Giants' ace. You know, me too. And he is a guy who, uh, you know, I don't know if it was easy to underappreciate him when he was kind of rolling along because he's he doesn't say much. He's a pretty quiet guy. Uh, you know, he can be flamboyant on the mound, but he certainly isn't that in his overall uh, sort of public personality. I guess his Instagram would argue against that. But uh, one thing that we've known about Johnny through this whole process, found out about him, is what a tenacious, passionate, you know, I never knew, even watching him up close and personal, how much he cared about baseball and being on the mound and his pitching and his career. He has worked so hard to get back to phys better physical condition, to get back healthy and be on the mound. And I think he is just itching to have a good year. So, you know, part of it is he's just fun to watch out there. He does things so differently. The other part of it is 
is that I think we're going to see like a totally determined guy pouring everything he has into being as good as he can, and that's always fun to watch. You know, I got to cover Bruce Bochy over the years, and he was always very generous with his time to come on with us, and we recently just had him on when he was helping out Tony LaRussa and ARF. And then I got to interview Gabe Kapler for the first time down at the winter meetings in San Diego. These are two opposite guys, and obviously their careers and their age. What do you think this difference is going to be like going from Bruce Bochy to Gabe Kapler? Well, to me, you know, part of it is going to be, and this is not to say Bochy, you know, Bochy inspired a lot of loyalty with his coaches over the years. And you can think of the coaches who were with him for a long, long time in San Francisco. There are a lot of names, even going back to San Diego, there are a lot of names. But I do think that the franchise from a coaching standpoint was dominated by Bruce uh, over these last many years. And he was a big, big personality in that room when he got on the bus, standing in the dugout. And I think one of the main differences is going to be is this is going to feel much more like a Gabe Kapler is leading a collaborative effort of I mean, the Giants hired 13 major league coaches. 13 is a big number. Uh, you can only have, what, seven in uniform in the dugout during the game. So that means there are going to be six other coaches who can't be in the dugout who are working with the team full-time on the major league level. And I think that's what's going to be the biggest difference is it's going to feel like a major overhaul of the coaching staff as a whole, more so than, okay, that one chair is going to – because the one chair is going to feel different. But I think Gabe is much more likely to be a delegator and somebody who's using all those coaches in a much different way than the Giants have before. You guys are going to need a bigger plane. It's You know what? It sounds like a joke, but it's an actual issue that I think they've been working on uh, because the plane is configured for a certain number of seats, and it's gotten more full and more full over these last few years, even without 13 major league coaches. And these are first-class, first-world problems for sure. But even the last couple of years, there were a couple flights a year where somebody of the regular traveling party had to go on their own because there wasn't room. And uh, they are going to have to be, I haven't heard what the solution is, but it is a problem. It's an issue because, you know, it's not just 13 major league coaches, it's massage therapists and nutritionists and video coordinators. And the Giants travel to, I don't think a lot of teams travel to full-time traveling uh, video analysts to help out the players you know, process all the info that they get. Uh, and so it is a very, you said that sort of as a funny line. It's an actual issue with some of these teams, and the Giants are now probably as full as anybody. Hey, we always appreciate the time. We love listening to you on the radio and love watching on television once we get to college football. And unfortunately, we didn't get to finish college basketball. But be well, be safe with the family, and we'll see you when the uh, Giants hook up with the athletics. We can't wait until uh, the season gets going. Everybody be safe. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad you guys are talking uh, ball. And uh, we, as soon as we make sure that everybody's going to be okay, or at least relatively so, I can't wait to get the game started. Dave Fleming from the San Francisco Giants and ESPN as we're breaking down the NL West. Where, where are we going next after the NL West? Because the Dodgers will end with the Dodgers on next Wednesday. I was thinking we just go to in the National League order and go to the NL Central. Oh, can't wait to talk about your Pirates. No, we're doing them last. 
God, they're do, awful. Do we really need to have a guest on? I can just do it for you. <laughs> okay, you'll be my pirate insider. Uh, a, a very good article in the USA Today. The, art, the, the, the title is, Less Lively Ball Will Hurt These Hitters Most. Some anecdotal evidence from spring training that the ball feels like it did before the 2019 Powerball. Dave Adler from BaseballHQ.com wrote this article. So obviously there's no evidence to this anecdotal. It's just players know this ball is their livelihood. The game doesn't start until the ball is thrown and there's a hitter. They know. Everybody will tell you last year's baseball was like a cue ball. And it was a and it and it just it felt different to pitchers, hitters, their reaction. And then there is the conspiracy theory that they went to a less lively ball in the playoffs. So if we're going back to a less lively ball, we take a look at the players that could be affected the most. And it starts with two Houston Astros. Alex Bregman, 41 home runs. Is he going to do that again if this is a less lively ball? Yuli Gurriel, who was never a big-time home run hitter in Cuba when he came over, had a big home run year last year. They think these two guys go down. From the Yankees, Brett Gardner's been playing a long time. 28 home runs in 2019. He going to do that again? How about Glaber Day? Is he going to hit 38? Now, obviously, this article was written when we thought we were going to have a full season. So, obviously, a lot of guys' numbers will be different. But still, you can look at the percentage of games and how many home runs hit either way. Max Kepler from the Minnesota Twins all of a sudden hit 36 home runs out of nowhere. Is he going to do that again? Cattell Marte, who we talked about on Monday when we previewed the Diamondbacks. His high was 14. Think about that. The most he'd ever hit in a season was 14. He hit 32 last year. More than double. That's a head scratcher. How about Manny Machado? They say that Petco down in San Diego actually decreases right-handed power by 9%. Now you take a less juice ball. Manny has hit 30 home runs six straight years. Will he do that again? He's going to be trying harder this year, so maybe. Uh, Don't Ma- forget. Yeah, Manny Manny, Manny, in the first year of a 10-year deal admitted that he, uh, he kind of mailed it in down at spring training this year and said that I'm going to try harder this year. Can you imagine you're A.J. Preller, you sign this guy to a record franchise deal, and he admits in the first year he didn't give it 100%. You got nine years left of that. I mean, in his defense, I will say one thing. He did hit 30 home runs for not trying, although we we know about the baseball and all that. But 30 home runs is nothing to scoff after if you're not giving 100%. Say he's given 70%. That's still pretty good. <laughs> but still, to come out and say, I wasn't trying. It's a bad look. Yeah. It's a real bad look. And they also think Fernando Tatis Jr., who got hurt, but he was on pace for a 40-homer season. They don't see that happening. How about Jock Peterson? We don't even know where he's going to play. Is he going to stay with the Dodgers? 
How about this crazy number on Jock Peterson from Palo Alto and Palo Alto High School? Jock Peterson hit 36 home runs last year. Out of those 36 home runs, how many do you think came off left-handed pitching? 36 home runs. How many did he hit off lefties? Three. Zero. Wow. So every home run was off a righty. Zero. That's uh, that's not good. That's called platoon player. Yes, that's. Uh, but that's... you're going to face more righties than lefties. But uh, those splits are those splits are like eye popping. Where are you? Where are you? Who are you taking out of the lineup for him though? If you're thinking about the, having play against righties. Oh, uh, I, I don't think he's he's he's, he's going to get traded. Oh, I know, but if this thing this hypothetically he's with the Dodgers. Who are you taking out? Well, you're not taking out bats. No, nope. uh, Bellinger ain't coming out. Oh yeah, I'm taking Bellinger out. Yeah, that's that's smart. <laughs> uh, you're not taking Muncie out of at, at first base. So I mean AJ Pollock maybe, but you're paying Pollock a lot of money. So you want they're going to they're going to have you, you know you know where, you know where he would look good. He'd look good in the green and gold. Well, local kid comes home. I mean, we we got Cannon right? and Simeon, right? Uh, where do you have, and Piscotti's a local kid too? Where do you have him play though? I'm just saying that's that's we're gonna have bigger rosters. Uh, that's a that's a fair point. That when you mentioned the the um, extended rosters, if he's through thirty guys, that helps guys like Jorge Mateo and Franklin Barreto if they don't make the roster. That helps them if they if the roster expands. No doubt. I could. I wouldn't mind Jock playing in Oakland. Playing playing against righties. He can play all three outfield positions. And first base. And first but base. Matt Olson played 162 games two years ago, so I don't think he's going to need a lot of days off. No. So you look in the outfield, and you got Canna, Piscotti, and hey, Moriano. You're, you're, you're adding a, thir- a 30. I mean, he has legit. He's not. He's not Cole Calhoun. Yeah, Jock is not. J- Jock swings out of his you-know-what, and he's got power. I mean, I, I could see him with the A's, and you know the way that they love versatility. You know, Piscotti hasn't been able to stay fully healthy for his career. Ramon Laureano last year broke down. I mean, you'd have that'd be a power bat to go in there with like Mark Canna. Just think of that outfield. That's four guys, and then Chris Davis DHing. It's a pretty powerful uh, outfield. That's a if you put those four guys together. That's what a hundred and what forty, a hundred and sixty home runs. A lot if they, of home runs. If they all say they all hit forty. Which by the way, and that's you just made a really good point. You know. Because got you, you got guys that are out of options, and you don't want to lose Mateo or Barreto. If they extend rosters to I don't know thirty guys, that is that that, that could be really good for the A's. Eugenio Suarez. I really like him a lot. I think he's a great player for the uh, the Reds. But you're going to go over the numbers, and I'll and we'll talk about why we think it's uh, not good. What he, well, why we don't think he, his numbers were that impressive. Most of his damage came in the second half. He had 32 of his 49 home runs, and he's killing it in the Great American Bandbox in Cincinnati. 49 home runs. How many RBIs did he have? Not know? a lot. 103. That's, uh, that's a lot of solo shots. Yeah, that's, that's, we were talking about with um, uh, Cole Calhoun the other day. It's a lot of sol- solo home runs, and he hit 49 playing at the Great American Bandbox. And, I mean, 49 is great, and he's a good player, but he's coming up, he had shoulder surgery this offseason, too, during I think right before spring training. I mean, that's going to affect him, maybe. But and, I don't think he's going to hit 49 again. And the last guy that they think is the numbers, the power numbers, going down without the juice baseball. Trevor Story of the Colorado Rockies. He's hit 72 home runs the past two years. The Coors effect, 
which enhances home runs by right-handed batters by 19%. Story hit only 22 home runs out of those 72 away from Coors Field. So as Petco takes away from your power by 9%, Coors Field enhances your power by 19%. All right, coming up next, we're going to hook up with my buddy Dick Callahan, the voice of a new grocery store. We'll talk to Dick next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Sean Manaya. Sean Manaya has no hit the Red Sox. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. Yeah, I like it. Sean Manaya giving a little love to A's Cast. A lot of new stuff going to be going up. We're going to be uh, have some new A's Unfiltered with yours truly. We're going to have some green and gold history segments coming up. We're going to keep this thing rolling, baby. A's cast just continues to grow day by day. And Dave Cavill, our president, understands at this time we need a release. We need a release from all the news and and some positive, some positive talk and talking baseball and to be a distraction for you as everybody is in their house. I, I know in San Jose, school is now canceled all the way till May 1st. My kids are going to be home for a whole nother month. And sometimes you need, you, need, you need the distraction, and that's what we're here for. Now joining us, he is the voice of the Coliseum, and now... He's expanded his resume from the NBA and college football to now the voice of a supermarket. The great Dick Callahan is with us. How are you, buddy? Oh, I'm just having a terrific time. I can't tell you how excited I am to be sitting here watching the paint dry in my condo. (laughs) It is what it is, right? It certainly is. It's it's an exciting time. It's a... you know, you used to think, well, you get up and you get going and you do all these kind of things and you keep a busy day and you have you have a great family and you're happy to be involved in things with them and you do some business things occasionally. Now you sit here and you watch the reruns of Law and & Order and uh, uh, it's, it's just wonderful. It's I, I've got everything done in my house. My condo in Rossmore is right now a perfect, perfect-looking condo. Everything is neat. Everything is clean. All the laundry that had to be done has been done. It's been great, but as you as you did in your nice introduction, I have I have moved to another level, Chris, and I'm not sure that I that I might not be able to take this to even a greater level than that. How many people do you know do PA announcements at a Safeway? I've never I've I've uh, never heard of that. I think you may be the only one. Uh, it may be the honor, the first time in Major League Baseball history that the announcer for a team is now doing announcements at Safeway. Well, that's what I was thinking, too. And, I, you know, I don't have a, a great resource to try to verify that. But I have done two no-hitters. I have done a perfect game. I've done over 2,700 games in all different sports between the, the various uh, teams that I've, that I've represented over the years. But I've never done a Safeway before. And it was it was an absolute classic. I was looking for a certain type of milk that I drink that I wasn't able to get at the couple Safeways that are within five or six miles of where I live. So I went to the Safeway down in Alamo, 
And when I went in, this guy walks up to me and he said, excuse me, aren't you Mr. Callahan, the A's announcer? And I said, yes. And uh, he said, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I'm looking for a particular milk. So he went to look and they didn't have it. So he said, but I'll, what I'll do is I'll save, I'll get some. The next time it comes in, I'll set some aside for you and I'll call you. You can come down and pick it up. I thought, that's terrific. That's that's customer service at the highest level. So he uh, he called me the next day and he said, I've got, I've got your milk. I said, great. So I come down and I meet him in the back and he happens to be the, he, he and his, his buddy happen to be the, the, uh, uh, guys who who handle the, the booze. Now, why I wasn't looking in the booze department, I have no idea. But I was I was you know celebrating the milk and not not worrying about the booze level. But anyway, he went back and found it and he got it. And when he brought it out, he had a yellow pad with him. And he said, "Would you do me a favor?" And I said, "Sure. What would you like me to do?" He said, "Would you welcome our shoppers and tell them that we're having sales in the in the alcohol department for both beer, wine." And uh, and the other good stuff, and it's just come back and see either Mark or Chris. And I said I'd be happy to do that. So, one take, one take, got it done. And people came out. The manager came over. People were asking, "Is that is that is that who we think it is? We recognize his voice." So now I've, I've risen to another level, Chris. And I'm not sure what I have. I probably have to find some way to to get adequate compensation for that type of effort. But you're you're the master of doing those things. Do you have a suggestion for me? I don't think they can afford you. And I think this <laughs> I, I, I I think this might put you into Cooperstown. This might finally get you into the baseball hall of fame. Well, I, you know, I tried earlier this month I was the MC for Moraga Baseball when they had their opening opening day and and uh, I was over there for the morning and introduced the players and had some great fun with that. And I live in I live in Rosmore. I think I told you that, but I live in Rosmore. And over the last couple of months, once a month, I'm doing the introduction to the new people who are moving into Rosmore to the various services that are available here. So the horizons have been broadened beyond belief. And uh, I, you know, I don't think I'm going to have to sit down. I, I I think I need a rest after all that thinking about that. That's that's tiring. <laughs> you know, in your li- in your in your lifetime, you've seen how sports heals and especially the game yes. of baseball. Talk about what you've seen all these years, because every so often we have some horrific stuff happen, and it's really sports that help us get that relief from the bad news. Well, it's, it's such a common denominator of people's abilities. Uh, you know, you've got people who cannot play various sports, but they can, they can umpire, or they cannot play and they can score. Or they cannot play, but they can do these things, and and they can coach, and they can be an assistant coach, and you know how many fathers have coached their kids through various levels. You know, holy smokes, these are these are things available to me that never would have been available. Um, I mean, I had when I played little, little league baseball, I had two speeds, and one of them was stopped. I mean, I had no speed whatsoever, but I was able to play baseball. But I always knew I wanted to be part of sports. And boy, it has been a magnificent thing for me. You know, at, at my age, uh, to have all these years of games and be able to have done all these things—it's—it's it's so rewarding and and so inspiring to myself. I mean, I I inspire myself to to continue to want to continue to do it. So it's, uh, but it's been it's been the outpouring of of events. Like I said, I think it's something like I think it's something like twenty-seven or twenty-eight hundred games over the years, and all different sports: football, baseball, basketball. Soccer, you know, uh, 
and and now Safeway. <laughs> <It's> great, right? <laughs> you know, I, I, I people really don't understand how tough your job is. I I had no idea until when you had problems with your throat that I had to fill in right. for you, and it really right. was like. Oh my God! I you don't have time to go to the bathroom. You don't have time really for anything. You're always talking, right. and you don't really like people think baseball is slow. All you have to do is do PA for one game, and you realize there's always something going on, and you always have to talk about it. That's exactly right, and it, it's it's funny. The the you know we've had some games that went over nine innings, and we had some games that went over seventeen innings. We had a nineteen inning game, and the last nineteen inning game that we had. In the 17th inning, I finally had to give in and go to the bathroom because I can't. It's too far. The bathroom is too far from the from that part of the press box that I work in. And so I went over. All I had a guy sit in, and all he said was, for the visiting team, now batting. And this is at uh, 2 o'clock in the morning. He, he said, uh, now batting. And and the batter went out and they did what they did. And I, the following weekend, I was out on the promenade. And a family came up to me and said, Mr. Callahan, would you take a picture with us? And I said, sure. And the guy said to me, he said, the other night in the 17th inning, did you go to the bathroom? And, and I said, no, because I never do. And then I thought, oh, no, wait, I'm sorry. Yes, I did. I went to the 17th inning. I said, did you notice that? Oh, yeah. He said, we, we pay attention to you. He said, we know you're part of the game and we, we listen to what you're telling us. And he said, and you had one guy come up to bat and somebody substituted for you and then you were right back. At 2 o'clock in the morning, and I thought, wow, I guess they do pay attention. Oh, let me tell you, my friend, the, the when I filled in, the minute I did it, I started getting texts. What are you doing doing the PA? Where's Dick Callahan? <laughs> I mean, it was <laughs> it was a meet, It was on Twitter. People were texting me from inside the stadium. As soon as they heard my voice, I went, what's he doing? Why is he doing this? Well, speaking of your voice, you were so nice to what you did for me on my 1,000th game last May. When, uh, when, of course, it was it was such an evening of, of, of unbelievable consequences. When you look at it and you realize that the game started an hour and was an hour and forty five minutes late because of the lighting in left field, and then Fires goes and pitches a no hitter, and it's my one thousandth game, and you were part of it. So uh, I'm grateful to you. I always appreciated your friendship, but but it was such a great part for me to have have all my family and friends there, and they didn't postpone the game. I was grateful for that because I had people in from different parts of the country who were here to be part of the 1000th game. And, and your testimony to me in the pregame was just so appreciated. And I'm grateful for you. Thank you for doing that. Well, your friendship means a lot to me and uh, stay safe, uh, stay inside. And then uh, maybe someday we'll be able to celebrate your great career in the grocery business. <laughs> I can hardly wait. I think what they're going to try to do for me, Chris, is they're going to name a cart after me. I think that's probably what the next the next gesture would be. So they'd have a cart that somebody could push through the Safeway at Alamo that would be conspicuous by my name being on there, having been the only PA announcer exterior from uh, from this from the uh, management group that is at the Safeway at Alamo. You are the best, my friend. We'll talk soon. <laughs> okay, thanks, Tommy. See you. The great Dick Callahan, the great Ray Fossey's going to be coming up here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the line. And you're listening to Ace Cast, your 24-7 destination for Ace Baseball.
By the way, at 3 o'clock, we're going to be airing the A's and Red Sox. It was an unbelievable game. Mike Fires dueling with Chris Sale. And a certain third baseman goes yard in this game. And, of course, it is a win for the A's and another amazing throw by Ramon Laureano. We will have that for you at 3 o'clock. A's and Red Sox. Ray Fossey coming up at 2.30. But now it is time for, oh, yeah, buying or selling. It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. Oh, we got a poll up. I know the poll's up. Go read it off. At Townsend Radio was discussing players who could see a dip in their home run totals in 2020 on A's Cast Live. Which player will see a decrease in home run total this season? And for some reason, you didn't put Bregman in there. I kept the Astros off. I'm going to retweet it. The options, Suarez, Cattell Marte. Max Kepler. Suarez. Oh, Cattell Marte is your leader. And Manny Machado, I voted for Marte. I mean, he had had 32 home runs last year, 22 career home runs entering the season last year. All right, what do you got? All right, so for the first one, we're going to start out. The first two are going to be on the team across the bay. Who we we featured today. Yes. So for the first time in a while, the Giants won't have Madison Bumgarner starting on opening day. This year, it'll be none other than 34-year-old Johnny Cueto. Cueto has struggled in three spring training starts, the three that he had, posting a 12-79 ERA and six and two, six and a third innings pitched. Now, this was the first time that Cueto's will be the opening day start for the Giants, but he also came back from Tommy John last year and pitched in a few games when he had the surgery in 2018. In 2019, he went one and two with a 5.06 ERA and four starts. The two-time All-Star is 126 and 87 with a 3.35 ERA in 12 major league seasons, and he started four straight openers for the Reds from 2012 to 2015. So buying or selling Johnny Cueto as the Giants opening day starter. I'm buying because they've already announced he's going to be the opening day starter. You don't think, you don't, you don't think you know, I'm, no, I'm just going off of, you don't think it should be like someone like Jeff Samarja? No. Johnny Cueto. He's an, he's entertaining to watch. There's no question. So the Giants have a lot of hope for their future, and that's what a lot of their fans are hoping for as well. The reason, their farm system, which is ranked 10th in Major League Baseball, according to MLB.com. Now, they have a lot of players like Elliot Ramos and Hunter Bishop, who they got in the first round last year out of Arizona State and Sarah Sarah High School, same as Barry Bonds and the great Tom Brady. But the other guy they have is Joey Bart, the number two overall pick from the 2018 MLB draft. Now, Bart, during spring training, hit 438, and, and he had seven hits and 16 at-bats. Now, during the... 2019 season in high A and double A, he hit 278 with 16 homers and 48 RBIs, but he was injured twice, once in high A and once during fall ball. MLB.com has John, has Joey Bart listed as the Giants backup catcher, but he was reassigned to minor league camp in spring training. Buying or selling, Joey Bart will make his major league debut in 2020. Oh, I'm buying. There, 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 you, you can't... Well... See, now we get into service time and we get into that kind of stuff. I'm going to buy, put it this way. We don't know what the season's going to look like. This might be an easy way for Farhan to keep him down so he doesn't get any service time. 
But from a talent standpoint, I'm buying he should be in the big leagues this year. And, I, and, and the biggest dilemma is you got it. You got. I mean, you not only. Where, where's my Where's my Buster Posey stats? You're not only hitting Buster Posey in the lineup every single day as much as he can. You're hitting him third. He's hitting 257, seven home runs, 38 RBIs, and a 688 OPS, and he's hitting third. That's a problem. Yeah, that's a major problem. That's a major, major problem. I mean, for a team that had a, the 28th best OPS in baseball last year. If Joey Bart, he should. Now, once again, we don't know how long the season's going to be, they, what they want to do with his service time, but he should be in the lineup. Well, there was a call. Like, I remember last year, a lot of people wanted him to be up last year because how good he was doing in spring training. I thought, all right, that's a little too early, but he is a college guy, so he had a lot of experience playing extended baseball, playing in college at Georgia Tech. And. The Giants could have used him last year, although they, they finished a little bit better than everyone expected. I do, I'm do. i with you. I think he debuts this year. I don't know when. Maybe it's closer towards the end of the year when the Giants are maybe out of contention. But I think you want to get the fans excited for the future, you, you let him debut this year. Now, speaking of exciting players, Cleveland Indians executive Chris Antonati said the franchise and representatives for all-star shortstop Francisco Lindor made a sincere and earnest effort to agree on a long-term contract before deciding to suspend the talks. Now, Antonetti, the president of Baseball Ops, said the sides worked for months and tried different and creative concepts to strike a deal, but ultimately decided to not continue negotiations prior to the season when it was supposed to start. Lindor will make $17.5 million this year and can become a free agent after 2021. Lindor is a four-time All-Star and two-time Gold Glove winner. He had 32 homers and sold 22 bases last year. Now, Cleveland's payroll is going to be down a lot from last year because they let guys like Kluber and Trevor Bauer go. So it's going to be around, their payroll last year is $123 million, way down from that this year. Buying or selling, the Indians tried their hardest to re-sign Francisco Lindor. <laughs> I think we know the answer. That's kind of an easy one. <laughs> it's just, I mean, when I saw that, I'm like, all right, so you, you tried. He's the best. I mean, you, you know what they're seeing? This is, this, is, this is your typical, we're not going to pay him. We're going to act like we offered him money, and then we're going to trade him. We're going to say, hey, we tried to sign him. I mean, we've seen this over and over with teams. They don't they're, – they're not – I mean, like look at the Red Sox. Mookie Betts obviously was going to get way more money than they ever offered him. Did they really make him a legit offer? Like like the Angels. The Angels step up, and they made Trout's package $435 million. Why? Because he's their franchise guy. You're going to have to pay franchise guys. Look what you have to pay Bryce Harper. Look at what you have to pay Manny Machado. Look what Betts is going to get. Lindor's going to get huge money. And if you just I, – I hate I hate the it's not me, it's you mentality, right? Like we wanted him, but he doesn't want to be here. Well, you didn't want to pay him. Yeah, how many guys have we seen the Indians have over the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years that they developed and just left? Manny Ramirez. Jim Tomei. Jim Tomei. I mean, there's a, there's so many guys. Or Tomei, whatever you want to say. It. Brian Giles. They had. Borderline Hall of Famer. Richie Sexton. <laughs> they had they had so many. Uh, Sean Casey. Sean Casey. Richie Se- Oh, you said Sexton. I'm trying to think uh, who else do they have. Uh, CC Sabathia. Bartolo Colon. Cliff Lee. Cliff Lee, another one. Corey, uh, not Kluber. Former Padre farmhand, Corey Kluber. I mean, they've Michael had, Brantley. I mean, at, at one point they had the longest sellout streak when it was Jacobs Field back in the day. But those teams were, uh, they were, those teams the are. The fact that that team didn't win a World Series with all the talent and Hall of Famers and All Stars on there. I watched both. I watched the '95 World Series and '97 during this uh, layoff. Incredible that they didn't win. 
Hey, Carlos Baerga and Sandy Alomar Jr. Well, did San- Sandy end it as an, as an Indian? Yeah. But Baerga didn't. No, he wants. I forget where he went. He was brought. I mean, he was in the Joe Carter trade with San Diego, but he was still. They brought him up. He was an Indian. Yeah. He and then they had uh, Roberto Alomar for a little bit too. But he was. Yeah. They they had so many guys on those teams. He was, Omar Vizquel, potential Hall of Famer. All right, last one. Yankee slugger Giancarlo Stanton has made steady progress with his strained right calf injury this month. New York manager, New York Yankees manager Aaron Boone said Monday on the Yes Network. In an interview with Yes Network, Boone spoke about Stanton's road back from a grade one strain that he got diagnosed with last month. If we were ready to start spring training games, he'd be ready to go. G's doing great. He's been hitting now for a few weeks, but he's now running pretty much at full speed in different directions and doing all the things necessary to get into a game. Now, Stanton played just 18 games last year for the Yankees due to a number of injuries. He batted 288 with three home runs and 59 at-bats, a little down from the year he had where he hit 38 in his first year with the Yankees and having 59 the year prior. Buying or selling Giancarlo Stanton will play over half the Yankees games in 2020. I'm buying it. I, th- I think this layoff's going to be good for him. How about Judge with the collapsed lung? That's that. I when I saw, it, I was like, "Wow!" I was, I was. It's sh- something new with this guy every week. Yeah, I mean this 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 layoff is certainly helping the New York Yankees because if they were supposed to start their season tomorrow, once again they've had a ton of stars uh, who would not be ready to go. Coming up next, the face of the franchise, the great Raymond Fossey, will join us next on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, here's Chris Townsend. You know, that interview with Mark McGuire was really cool. And I think it was very important because I think a lot of young A's fans had never really heard from him. You know, once he did the apology uh, on MLB Network with Bob Costas and then got into coaching, you know, whether it was in St. Louis or L.A. or San Diego, he didn't do a lot of interviews. And now his his, his kids are doing really well. And they're very competitive. So I think it was just it was, it, was, it was great to hear from Mark McGuire. Yeah, the guy saved baseball. There's no question about it. And he's a good man. And he's a friend of our next guest. Do we have the open ready? Hit it. Wednesday is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. <laughs> What's up, How Ray? Are you, Tommy? Ah, doing good. How are you? I'm You're talking about Big Mac? Yeah, we, when we did the interview with him, I, it, it really it made me realize after we did the interview, and a lot of people reached out, and went, "That was great." That you know, for some of the younger A's fans, that's like the first time they've ever he- heard him talk. Well, I'll say this, Tony. I had the opportunity, the pleasure, of seeing every one of his 363 home runs hit as a member of the Athletics, and I, I, I would never leave the broadcast booth, whether it's radio, TV, obviously. Just he came to hit. I would never. I I had probably more luxury to leave the booth on radio than TV. But but I was just waiting for that magical time when fastball connecting and it happened in Seattle against Randy Johnson. A ball was hit and it was like a, a, a rifle 
it came off the bat. And that was before exit velocities were really talked about. They talked more about different things. And all of a sudden, this, this number comes up 110 miles per hour. And I'm saying, Randy threw it that hard? He said, no, that's off the bat of McGuire. That was, you know, obviously back at the old Kingdom. But I swear, Tony, if there had not been a roof on the Kingdom, that ball maybe still be going because it was a shot. And Mac, Mac never, ever showed up anybody. He would round, he rounded the bases, kept his head down. He got back into the dugout. He ran at the old Kingdom. They had a, a flat dugout, basically, and you could just walk through a door back to the clubhouse. Well, Mac rounded the bases, went through, went through that door, and when he finally came back out in the dugout, Randy Johnson looked over at him, tipped his hat to him, saying, you got me. I mean, that was so classic. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. But, I mean, that was one of those that was just a perfect, perfect swing and a great fastball by Randy Johnson. And all of a sudden, this home run just took off. And I said, all these times that I've waited and never left the booth, I finally it paid off, and I got a chance to see that. But nicest guy in the world, and, you know, he's, he's probably misunderstood. If I could tell quickly, um, we were in Cleveland, and he hit the scoreboard, Tony. And, and the, Cleveland Stadium, the current stadium now, he hit the scoreboard. It was the longest shot, uh, or her shot, as it threw the pitch, and Mac hit it. And, you know, big John Adams with his drum sits underneath the scoreboard. It hit right above him. And it was the longest shot we'd ever seen. Well, you know, after the game, you know, we wanted to have him on, and he turned us down. And I said something to him in the clubhouse. I said, why would you turn us down? He said, I didn't want to talk about myself. And I said, I know that. He said, but, you know, you hit a monumental home run like that. We can talk about a lot of things. We don't have to talk about you. But that's the way he was. He would never, ever want to talk about himself. He'd want to talk about the team, his teammates, whomever, but never about himself. And obviously I knew that. So whenever I did interview him, it was about something nothing ever about him. It was about whatever uh, the subject might be. I, I, don't, I can't even remember. I have the interviews that I did with him, but they were never, ever anything to do about Mark McGuire, this great slugger. You know, you think about that USC team where Randy Johnson yeah. and Mark McGuire are college teammates. The catcher yeah. was Jack Del Rio, former Raiders head coach, <laughs> longtime linebacker. And I, and I used to do the TV show with Jack Del Rio. And I asked him one time, I'm like, what was it like catching Randy Johnson in college? And he goes, it was really scary because he threw so hard. And, but no one knew. The umpire didn't know where it was going. Randy didn't know where it was going. The hitter didn't know where it was going. I mean, it, it, you talk about a scary at-bat, Randy Johnson in college, my God. <laughs> well, how about the bird that ran in front of him? That bird found out how hard he throws. But, you know, the, the one guy, the one catcher, and you know how much and what I think about catchers, but Dave Valley caught Randy Johnson in Seattle. And, you know, Randy goes in the Hall of Fame as a uh, Arizona Diamondback. And really kind of worked out great because Ken Griffey Jr. was the first to go in to the Hall of Fame as a uh, Seattle Mariner. But Randy Johnson was all over the place, like you said. But Dave Valley caught him. And he, what he did, and I've, I've said it many times, that if you force a left-hander to pitch inside, it allows him to complete the pitch. And I've seen pitchers who try to nail the outside corner and they kind of guide the ball and it tails away and it's out of the strike zone. But Dave Valley convinced Randy Johnson, first of all, to pitch inside with a fastball, more importantly, with that devastating slider that he threw to the back foot of the right-handed hitters. Nobody could touch it. And really, the full extension that Randy Johnson came up with was what really probably made him the outstanding pitcher that he turned out to be and a Hall of Famer on top of it. I will say, and you're talking about uh, McGuire, I, I have to bring this up, Old Tiger Stadium. 
440 feet to the base of center field. 440 feet. It's, it's like Municipal Stadium before they put the temporary fences in, in Cleveland. But Mark McGuire, when he played for USC, he played at Tiger Stadium. He hit a ball in the upper deck of straightaway center field. 440 feet to the base, he hit it in the upper deck. That's a strong man because when we went in there, when he first came up and he was hitting, and I mentioned something, he said, yeah, I played here before. And then I found out that where he had hit the ball in center field. Tony, it was so massive in the outfield at Old Tiger Stadium that they had the the uh, the um, American flag, the foul uh, flagpole was in play in left center. That's how deep it was because nobody ever hit it that direction. And, and they tried to do it at Comerica Park, and they ended up making the fences shorter because of Juan Gonzalez or Juan thought they were too far away. But uh, but yeah, that was uh, Old Tiger Stadium was was quite a place with a great late Ernie Harwell as a broadcaster, but. Big Mac, I mean, he came in 49 home runs in his rookie season. And I'll never forget being in the, in the lobby of the hotel on the final day of the regular season, uh, the Sunday, the A's were at Comiskey, going to play the White Sox, Mac sitting on 49 home runs. And I said, have a good day. And he said, I will. I'm going home for the son of my birth, uh, birth of my son, Matthew. He left the game. He didn't even play the game on the final day. He could have hit 50. But unselfishly, he went home to be there for the birth of his son, Matthew. And he said, there's something I did. I'll never change it. And he said, I never regretted it. And, of course, uh, I think it was Aaron Judge passed him with the most home runs by a rookie. But Mark McGuire sitting on 49. And say what you want about Mac, but he left the day before the game to go home to be with his wife and his uh, birth of his son. Yeah, what a what a special career he had, and he should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And it's sad that he's not in the Hall of Fame. But you know, one of the things I wanted to get into with you today is been watching a lot of these old school games, and I was watching the Bucky Dent game. And <laughs> here, here here's your, your your old pal Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson struck out more than anybody in the history of the game, but you, he's still hitting at the end of the season two seventy nine. It's amazing yep. watching these games from the 70s and the 80s where you got guy even Carlton Fisk is choking up. The amount of contact and the amount of balls being put into play back then versus now, it, it's crazy to watch. You know, you're exactly right. And, and, you know, you think of Reggie and the Mr. October label that was given to him. I saw the other day when he hit the three home runs on three different pitch or three different pitchers and three pitches at Yankee stadium in the world series in the mid seventies, you know, just a phenomenal hitter in postseason. And that's what we relied on basically in, in the, in the world series uh, in, in October when I was with the A's in the seventies, I mean, he missed 72 because of a hamstring injury in 72 uh, league championship series in Detroit. He tore his hamstring, couldn't play. So he was, he was hungry for, for the 73 world series. And playing the Mets, and he hit a big home run at the Coliseum, and I think it was game six or seven. I know we won both games, but just a tremendous hitter. But it was, it was, and to your point, Tony, about, okay, if there's a runner in second base, let's hit a ground ball to the right side, get him over. And then hopefully somebody can get him in. You know, it was, it was textbook baseball. And, and that's why I think in 1967, Carl Yastrzemski won, this, um, won the triple crown with a batting average like 301, something like that. So it's, it's something that's out of the ordinary because it is a change game. And, you know, we have to deal with that because the launch angles and, and guys hitting home runs and striking out more. But, but I think the game, uh, and I, I'm happy to hear you say you're watching some of those, those classic games because uh, you're seeing some classic baseball players playing those games. And I think that's where the difference is. And, you know, you and I have talked about this before. 
that when the A's won the three consecutive World Series, it was a five-game league championship series and then the World Series. So there's none of this wild card and the division series and league championship of seven and then World Series. No, it was a five-game league championship series, and you had to win three of the five to go to the World Series. That was the difference. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's longer now. And uh, did you see the Scott Boros? I just read the headline. It said Scott Boros wants 162 games. The World Series played on Christmas Day. <laughs> wow. Uh, that's a, that, it's gonna, it's gonna have to either be in Toronto, Tampa, Houston, or, uh, cause you can't even guarantee California weather on Christmas day. No, 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 no. I, and you know what, first of all, let's not go any farther without saying, let's hope and pray the people who are affected by this coronavirus. And, and you know, there's a lot of things going on, but let's, let's hope and pray that, if they are infected, they get well and, and life can get back to normal. But the people are the most important thing right now. And, you know, we're talking baseball and some of the classic games and we're hoping for a 2020 season and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, the, the people are the most important thing right now. And I, I think that's something that we really have to think about uh, and, and hope and pray that they are OK. And, and that's the biggest thing. So having said that and getting that uh, out, uh, yeah, the, the baseball part it will come back, life will resume, and baseball is going to be great. But uh, it is kind of a nostalgic type thing right now where people can, can look at some of the classic games of the past. And I, I think it's great. And, and you know, I, I'd love to see uh, Willie Mays with his back to uh, the infield making that catch at the photo grounds in the 54 World Series, you know, and uh, watch some games with your grandfather playing in the World Series, you know, just, uh, just to watch him play. So it's, it's a great time. And I give the A's credit, NBC Sports California. I know that uh, they're doing some special things and uh, just trying to keep fans abreast of what's happening in these tough times, but keep baseball on their minds. And I think they're doing, doing a very good job of doing that. You know, they also recently showed the 1980 season. And, you know, just watching the All-Star game and those great players. But I think about yeah. the, the All-Star games you played in what was it like when you were catching in the All-Star game? And that's when the na the National League and the American League, they, they didn't like each other. The game meant something. And those teams you caught against, I mean, those lineups in the National League were just full of Hall of Famers. Well, in, in the 1970 game, which was my first, and, and my wife, Carol, and I went to Cincinnati following a doubleheader, which I caught in Cleveland on the Sunday. We went with Sam McDowell. And, and, and then to play in that game, and, and I, I'll never forget uh, the likes of Harmon Killebrew and Brooks Robinson and uh, uh, Jim Palmer. I'm just thinking Hall of Famers, Louis Aparicio. You know, Tony, uh, Kurt Gowdy did a 30-minute version of, you know, what they do in kind of the highlights of the, of the All-Star game. They did not do the typical introduction where, you know, playing shortstop, Louis Aparicio, and he's on the line. They showed highlights of Luis Aparicio playing shortstop, of Brooks Robinson playing third base. Uh, the late Roberto Clemente played for the National League. Willie McCovey, Mays. I mean, all these guys. And, and I'm looking at this, and I'm counting the Hall of Fame. I think that in that All-Star game in 1970, there were close to 20 Hall of Famers that were playing. And dig deep. And, and uh, you know, I, it's something that you learn, and I've said it before, but we're saying again, you never assume in the game of baseball that the game is over. There are 27 outs or extra outs, whatever, if it's an extra inning game, but you can never assume it because I learned that lesson with Dick Deets catching because uh, that was before interleague play and all that stuff. And, 
he, he I came up or he came up to play in the ninth inning, and uh, we were leading by a score I think of four to one at the time. And I said, "Hey, Mule," it was a nickname Mule. I said, "See, in uh, in Arizona, in spring training, he had a home run. He came around and scored. They ended up tying the game, and of course, we played the extra innings, and the rest is history. But but you know, I learned. But you know, to be there uh, catching the likes of the late Catfish Hunter and, and Clyde Wright, who threw the, the pitch to Jim Hickman in the 12th inning that Pete Rose uh, scored on, uh, you know, the, the line drive to center field. Um, I faced Bob Gibson uh, in the All-Star game. I mean, these are my baseball cards coming to life, Tony. I mean, I mean, you think about it, I collected these baseball cards, and then all of a sudden I'm on the bench with some of the guys that I collected cards with, and I'm boxed behind the plate. I faced Gaylord Perry, hit a double down the right field line, because I'm stupidly up there thinking he's going to throw me a Vaseline ball. How stupid could I be? Especially when I caught him at 72, realizing you can't look for it and hit it because it's impossible. But, you know, just a, just a thrill to be on that. But, Tony, you know, the, the thing that I remember most about an un, unfortunate ending to a 70 All-Star game was watching the video of the players coming to home plate to find out how it was. Joe Torrey. Uh, was in the National League. I mean, he won a batting championship. He came up. Uh, Joe Morgan. All these guys came up the home plate. Brooks Robinson uh, to see how I was after that collision. And and to see that and to see them, they could care less about the winning run scoring. They were more concerned about was I okay. Unfortunately, I wasn't. But you know, to see those guys coming up to the plate and 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 still seeing that that picture in my my mind right now. I mean, it was a, an, it's an amazing, amazing thing to think about. But, you know, the, the great history, and, you know, you can say what you want about the current. I give these players a lot of credit because I'll be honest with you. I'll look down on the field sometimes and I'll say, did I, I can't believe I played this game because these players today are so talented. Uh, the strength they have, the endurance, uh, the speed, the velocity on the fastballs. But I'll be honest with you, I would not trade one iota, one, one minute of the time that I played and especially guys that I played with and against in the seventies and the all-star game, the world series. I mean, those are memories that will never ever go away. And granted the money was nothing like it is now, but money's not everything. And at the time playing with those guys and playing against them, that was what it's all about. And, and that's why, you know, you can imagine Tony, I, I, when I was born, I started collecting baseball cards and all of a sudden, these guys are coming alive. I'm going, wow, this is amazing. I've got your baseball card. I could never say it to the guy because he'd get upset with me. You know, if, if I ever brought up that I had his baseball card because he knew that I was younger than him, and they didn't like that. So uh, I, I ran into that and experienced it. But uh, a great time. And, and like I said, in these tough times for the world, for these people to be able to show the classic baseball games, I think it's tremendous because, you know, the thing about baseball town, and you know as well as anybody, there's a past, there's a present, and there's a future. And what people are now getting a chance to see the past, and I think it's great. Well, we did a poll on our A's Cast Twitter account because I've been reading, we've been doing a deep dive on shifting, and we're starting to Hmm. find out that shifting doesn't work exactly as well as people try and sell it. Obviously, shifting takes away some hits, but it's also being discovered that pitchers throw less strikes when the shift's employed behind them. That means they walk more batters. More batters walked on base means more runs are being scored. So it kind of comes out in the wash. So I put it out there. Do you like shifting or not? And it was a yes or no question. And Cody is for shifting. 
I now, reading this evidence, I'm kind of against it because I think it creates more fly balls and strikeouts. And the voting is in, Foss. I won. More people don't want the shift than uh, and just have basically two guys on the left side, two guys on the right. Where do you weigh in? Yeah. Yes or no on shifting? Well, I, I played in an era where we didn't shift. And there was, uh, you're talking about a classic game. How about the late Ted Williams? They shifted on him, and that was the first. That was back in the 40s. So, I mean, that was something because he pulled the ball. And the, I, the problem I see now with the shift, let's say a left-handed hitter. Instead of having an entire left side of the infield open, a whole left side open, they're trying to hit over the shift. And that's the creation of the five balls that you're talking about. You know, in the financial, financial world, you hear the statement, past success does not uh, guarantee future results or, or past results does not future guaranteed success in the future. Well, a lot of times with the shifts, it's based on what somebody has done. Now, you, I think you should factor in who's the pitcher. How hard is he throwing? I see guys where guys throwing almost 100 miles an hour, left-handed hitter, and they've got four guys or three guys on the right side of the infield expecting to pull the ball. I'm going, even if he knows what's coming, I don't know that he's going to pull a fastball that hard into the shift that way. So I think there's some examples where you can see. I know the A's won a game against the Blue Jays, um, and all I know is if there was a shift, the pitcher was throwing hard, like I said, the hitter, was, th- was hitting balls over the third-base dugout. He couldn't get around on the fastball. Ends up hitting a ball into the hole where the shortstop normally would be playing. The shortstop had to run over, or the third baseman did, run over, get the ball, throw off balance to first base, bang, bang, play, call, save, game over, A's win the game. And I asked John Gibbons the next day, I said, Gibby, what are you doing with this shift? And he said, well, that's what these people said that, you know, based on what has happened, they're going to pull the ball in the shift. But you know, it's something that is part of the game. Uh, I agree with you. To be honest, I would rather see a pitcher turn around and look and see four guys on the infield, three in the outfield. Yeah, you might sh- shift a little bit. But the dramatic shifts that we're seeing in the game today, uh, I don't know that a lot of times a pitcher can pitch into the shift. And to, to me, Tony, that's the key. Uh, and, and Cody, hope you're doing well, Cody. But uh, I, I kind of think that if, if pitchers that I caught, a like catfish hunter, he could pitch into the stretch. In other words, he could throw a pitch that a hitter would hit it to where the shift had been employed. But I don't know that in today's world a greater percentage of the pitchers can do that. And as a result, uh, you're getting, like you said, more walks because guys are trying to pitch maybe into the shift that they're not accustomed to doing. So uh, I kind of agree with you. It's something, though, that we're going to see continue in the future just because that's the analytics of the game and things that have happened, and we're going to see that. But I think some things need to be done um, to, to make sure that, first of all, who's hitting, who's pitching, you know, are they going to be able to do exactly what the defense is being set up to show and do? You know, you, 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 when you played, there was, there, there was labor stoppage. I mean, it, it happened, unfortunately, all the time. Uh, luckily, we haven't had it since 1994. As a player, when all of a sudden they say, okay, this is when we're restarting, how long did it take you and your, your teammates to, to, to get ready to be able to play on an everyday basis? Well, I'm first going to say that in 1972, I was the player representative for the Cleveland Indians. And we had a meeting in Dallas, Texas. And that was the first vote in which I had to put up my right hand, knowing that I had not one penny in the bank. And I think I was making the time 7000 to play Major League Baseball. And we went on strike. 
And the thing that, that I appreciate more than anything, and I still say that everybody should know who Kurt Flood is, who Kurt Flood was, what he did for the game of baseball, because what we're seeing in today's game with the salaries and, and mainly the salaries is because of Kurt Flood and what he did, knowing, as he said to Marvin Miller, I want to, I want to challenge the reserve clause. And Marvin Miller said, you know, you'd never play the game of baseball again. He said, I know that, but it's important. And he did that. That was in 72. Uh, my wife, Carol, went to work in 72 because we had no money. And so she, she went to work and uh, she was a teacher by trade, but because we had hoped it was going to be short, a short period of time, she went to work and I just continued to work out. To answer your question, if pitchers are still pitching now, and we do not know uh, when the season is going to resume, if it is, let's hope it is. And, you know, hope, you know, everybody can play as many games as, as possible. Um, the pitchers are the most important. If the pitchers are throwing and their arm strength is continually built up, and I, I read an article that maybe you did also, Liam Hendricks talking about, I throw, he said, I throw year round. So for Liam Hendricks, a uh, work stoppage, uh, a delay of the start probably would not affect him. Uh, pitchers are the ones who come to spring training first, pitchers and catchers, to build up their arm strength. But in reality, those pitchers have done that at a period of time in the offseason to where when they get to spring training, they're ready to go. As, 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 as we see with games playing five days after everybody reports to camp. But uh, I, Jerry DePoto, general manager of the, uh, the Mariners, said, I, I would rather have a larger roster of pitchers instead of taking a chance of hurting one of the pitchers. Now, you know, that's something that's going to come up. Um, how much time is missed is going to probably determine, you know, what the players are doing. Uh, DJ LeMahieu stayed in Florida, and I don't know if that camp is still open with the Yankees, but he said, I'm going to stay here, stay in shape, and be ready to go when we do resume. Um, other camps have completely closed down to where players went home. Do they continue to work? But I say that once they decide at a certain point that the game's going to start, probably minimum of two weeks uh, to get to get guys ready to go. And, uh, you know, once it happens, they'll probably, whatever date they pick, they're going to make sure that all 30 clubs play the same number of games to keep it fair. And in the case of Liam Hendricks, uh, he said, I want to play 162 if we have to play double headers. Um, have play on off days that schedule off days to make up games. We'll do that. And, and you know, like I said, Scott Boro said play on Christmas, which I think is impossible. But you know, you know, let, let, let's hope that this whole thing gets resolved and, and baseball can resume uh, because I, I think fans love the game of baseball. Uh, the A's were looking forward to, I thought and think, still think, a very good 2020 season coming up. Uh, there are teams in the case of what Noah Syndergaard today. Just found out he needs Tommy John surgery. I think of uh, Justin Verlander who had groin injury uh, surgery. Uh, players, Aaron Judge, you know, players who injured, Steven, Steven Piscotta, the A's with the ribcage injury. So players who have been injured and knew they were not going to be able to start on the opening day, which, by the way, would be tomorrow, um, maybe those players' teams can benefit a little bit. But I think it's going to require at least a couple of weeks to get players and everybody going again. Um, if, if the A's were to do it in, in Arizona, by the time they resume, it's going to be hot. Uh, so, you know, who knows what's going to happen, but work stoppages were different because once an agreement was made, then we knew when we were coming back under the circumstances that the world is going into right now. We don't know that. We don't know when the commissioner of baseball is going to say, okay, on this particular date, we're going to resume, you know, what's it going to be like? So, uh, they will need time because unfortunately time has elapsed. 
Uh, players were ready to get ready to play the game tomorrow, the opening day. That's not going to happen, obviously. And um, we'll, we'll see when it does resume. But there's, they're going to need time because I don't think any club is going to want to send somebody out whose legs aren't in shape, whose arm's not in shape. Um, you know, it, 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 once the season does begin, and again, I'm hopeful that it does begin, that when it does, the pitchers will be ahead of the hitters, typically like they are in spring training. And I think we're going to see that at the beginning of the season when it does resume. All right, Floss, you're the best, buddy. Be, be safe, and we'll talk to you next week. Founder, you're good, man. Cody, you're the best. Commander Cody. And uh, you know what I'm looking forward to when it does resume, seeing you down on the field by the dugout with the commander in charge and you holding court and getting people on talking baseball. And it's going to resume. We just have to keep the faith and uh, keep praying for all those people who are suffering because of this, uh, this virus. And let's hope the world gets back in shape and we can all get back to normalcy. Great stuff, Foss. We'll talk to you soon. You're good, man, Tonic. Take care, my friend. And the best to all the A's fans. The great Ray Fossey. Coming up next, it's the Red Sox. It's the A's. It is a heck of a pitched ball game as we're playing all the wins of 2019. The pitching matchup is Mike Fires up against Chris Sale. Enjoy, everybody. We'll be back Friday from 1 to 3 right here on A's Cast Live Warm Stove Edition. But now we throw it back to A's Cast and the A's and the Red Sox. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.